0: baby child died just a few short weeks after birth they called it sudden infant death syndrome precious little life was taken and the mother and father are angry with God for the death of their child uh, another couple's been preparing for retirement. They've been doing a lot of planning, trying to get everything in order so that they can enjoy their retirement years. And one month before the husband's last day on the job, he is diagnosed with cancer. He's given only three months to live. And that couple is angry with God for this now sad turn of events. They're not going to be able to enjoy their retirement years together. In another case, uh, uh, at the age of 10, a little boy had been in foster homes. He had never had a real father or mother. His mother abandoned him at the age of 5. He hasn't had a happy home life to grow up in, and and he is angry with God for all of those terrible things that have gone on. Maybe one more example. An 85-year-old man has... Uh, excuse me, not 85, a 58-year-old, a 58-year-old man has worked diligently to build up a business, to have a prop- prosperous enterprise. But suddenly a bad economy comes along and it also turns out that he's had a corrupt business partner, partner and he is forced into bankruptcy at 58 years old. And he, too, is angry with God for the outcome of these things. Now, I've just presented some scenarios to you. You can probably think of a whole host of other scenarios in which people suffered bad things. And you've probably known some people having suffered such bad things to get angry with God as a result of that. God is almighty, after all. And if he wanted to, he could stop these things from happening. Why doesn't he? And He's supposed to be a loving God. And if He's a loving God, why doesn't He step in? Why doesn't He pour out His blessings and His benevolence so that no one has to suffer the kind of things that we just described or other things that might be of that nature? Why doesn't God do something? And people, when they think that way and when they dwell upon that, as they spend time, more and more time thinking about it, they get angry. They get angry with God. Maybe you have been in that situation. Or at least my guess is that you've probably known somebody who has been in the past, or maybe is right now, angry with God. How do we deal with that? And how would we help others, maybe who are suffering, with that kind of a thought process? How can we deal with a situation such as we have described and the outcome being someone who's angry with God? We want to talk about that in our lesson this morning. I hope we can say some things that will be helpful. Again, it may be that you are going through such a thing. And maybe you're feeling those emotions or perhaps someone near and dear to you who's going through that and maybe you want to be able to help them. I think the Bible gives us the answer to the kind of situations we've just described. Before we get into that study, we stop here to thank your, you for being here, uh, for joining with us in this very important time of Bible study and worship. Uh, we're glad that you're here to start a new week with this important activity. We have visitors today. We're glad that you're here. We want you to come back whenever you can. We'd be glad to sit down and study the Bible with you in person. If you're interested in that, we're interested in that. If you just say a word, we'd be glad to study with you about any Bible subject. Please ask, and we will definitely make ourselves available. Thanks again to everyone for being here today. Well, how are we going to address this situation where maybe someone grows angry with God? There's some important things that we've got to keep in mind. First of all, I would suggest that we have to realize that human beings are beings of choice. We're not robots. We're not puppets on a string. And that being the case, then we make choices. We we have been asked to voluntarily serve our God out of love for Him. We're not being forced or compelled to serve Him. He's asked us to love Him and to serve Him voluntarily. But since it is a voluntary thing, a matter of choice... Obviously, sometimes we might make bad choices. And bad choices can often bring suffering and evil consequences. So sometimes we bring it on ourselves by making bad choices. At other times, we may be the victim suffering the consequences of other people's bad choices. That happens a lot too. So it could come about in uh, one of two ways. Either I make a bad choice and suffer because of it. Or someone else makes a bad choice and I end up suffering because they made the bad choice. The example that we so often cite is the idea of a of a, a drunk driver who he goes out and he gets drunk and he drives his car down the road and, of course, he's impaired. He's not driving like he should and so he crashes into someone else. And it turns out that he ends up being horribly injured in the crash that doesn't always happen. It seems like too, uh, in, in so many instances the drunk person is not hurt, but others are. But let's say in this case, the drunk driver, he's hurt very badly, and the person in the car that he struck is also hurt very badly. And what we have there is a, is a case of both the things we are just describing. He made a bad choice and suffered for it. He got hurt. But his bad choice also hurt someone else. And that's what we're saying here is that human beings are beings of choice. And a lot of times the suffering that comes into our lives is a result of bad choices that either I have made or someone else has made, and it affects me. We just understand that to be the case. In the reading that Britt read for us earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 30, as Moses was making his very last words to the children of Israel, he instructed them along the lines, you've got to make right choices. God will bless you if you do, but understand that if you make bad choices, you very well may suffer for it. He said in Deuteronomy thirty, beginning verse sixteen, I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thy heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, ye shall surely perish, and ye shall not prolong your days upon the land. I call heaven and earth to record to you against you this day, that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you or both thou and thy seed may live. Notice, Moses said, the choice is put before you. You choose. You can choose and be blessed as a result of the choices you make, or you can choose badly and suffer. It's your choice. That was a long time ago when Moses gave those instructions to the children of Israel. But things haven't changed, really. We live under a different law than they live, but things haven't really changed. God's put before us a choice. We can live righteous lives and be blessed as a result, or we can make bad choices and suffer for them. But when we think of suffering, and we think of all the bad that can come into people's lives, understand that a, a big part of that is due to the fact that God gave us the ability to choose. We've got to choose right. Secondly, we should point out that God is not the only force that exists in the universe Do you believe in God? Well, certainly I hope that you do. My guess is that everybody here this morning is a believer in God. If you're not, we're very glad that you're here. and We we hope you continue to study with us because we think the evidence is overwhelming in support of the conclusion that there is an almighty God in heaven who created everything. So if we believe in God, then Satan must also be accepted as a reality too because If there's a God, and there is, and he gave us the Bible, and he did, the Bible tells us that there is Satan, and that Satan is constantly working uh, to bring evil into our lives. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Satan tempts us, he lures us, he entices us. He tries to get us to engage in wrong activities he's constantly at work at that. Now, if we yield to him, if we give in to the temptation that he puts before us and he's constantly at work at that, he never gives up you know we we are impressed when we study about the temptation of Jesus. he tempted can you imagine he's so determined he even tries to tempt Jesus, of course he doesn't succeed but It says there Luke's account, I think, at the end of the temptation of Jesus as he left him for a season. He didn't leave him forever. He, He was constantly working even to get Jesus to sin. So he's going to tempt us, try to entice us to sin. And if he succeeds, and if we yield to him, notice what happens. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, it says the way of the transgressor is hard. You suffer hard things because you make these choices that Satan has put before you. I think it is a fair argument to say, if you want to be mad, be mad at the real cause of all the bad and suffering that is in the world. Be mad at Satan. If you want to be mad at someone, be mad at Satan. And don't give in to him because he is just seeking your ruin. He's seeking nothing good in your behalf. He's seeking your ruin. When God had everything on earth the way he wanted it, how was it? Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Perfection. And all the bad that came into the world was a result of Satan being able to tempt. Initially, Adam and Eve, but ultimately all of us. All of the evil in the world comes through the sin that has been introduced. It wasn't that way when God had things exactly the way he intended them and wanted them to be. So again... When you're thinking about being angry with God, we would suggest don't be angry with him. Be angry with Satan. God is not the only force that exists in the universe. Also, we would say that you need to remember that God never promised an easy road free from tribulation. He never said that everything was going to be perfect or easy in this life. I want to to see if you can picture this scenario. So you're you're in the army. And it's, and there's conflict going on. It's wartime. And so your commanding general comes before the assembled troops and he says, listen, men, today this is going to be a cakewalk. This is going to be like a picnic in the park. We got to go over here. We got to make this objective, but it's all we got to do is walk over there. We'll have no opposition, no resistance, and it'll be very easy. Today is an easy day. So you believe that. But it turns out that he knew and was aware of the fact that between here and where he wanted you to go, you would engage a terrible battle. And lots of men would be killed and wounded. And he knew that. And he didn't prepare you for it by telling you that he's putting you, as the expression goes, in harm's way. He didn't tell you that. And he led you to believe that there was no danger at all. And as you tried to do what he said to do, you met all kinds of horrible conflict and resistance Injury and death. Let me tell you something. You'd be mad at a general who did that, who knew what you were about to get into and didn't tell you and let you walk right into it unprepared. You'd be mad at him. And you have reason to be mad at him. Change the scenario. So here's the general, and he calls his assembled troops together, and he says, man, we've got to go over there. But between here and there, the enemy is strongly entrenched. It's going to be a battle like we've never fought before, but we've got to get there. Uh, a lot depends upon us being able to achieve this objective. I know that a lot of you will be hurt today. I'm sad to say that some of you will die today. That's what we're getting into, and we've got to do it. And the troops would rally around, and they would do what they were called upon to do, and when some of them were injured and when some died, no one would be angry at the general because he let them know up front this is the way it's going to be, right? You know, so, so you got that picture in mind? Now, what about God? God is like the general who said, I know it's going to be hard, and I know that it'll be a tough road to hope. God told us. He never left us to be disillusioned into believing that everything was going to be easy and everything would come up roses. God never said that to us. God never promised us ease. He told us it would be difficult. John 16, verse 33. Jesus said to his disciple, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Notice, it's not all going to be roses, Jesus said. There will be tribulation. You will have hardship. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say it might happen. We can't expect it. But again, our point is that God has not hidden that from us. He never promised us that everything would be perfect and easy. And so uh, we have to act like grown-ups here, I guess we would say, and understand this is a difficult thing, and God told us to expect those difficulties. Don't be angry with Him when those difficulties materialize. Another point that we would add is that there is potential benefit to suffering good can come from it we have stated the principle this way and i think it's a, i think it's a fair way to state it anything that makes us spiritually stronger anything that makes us more fit for the master's use anything that gets us closer to heaven is in the final analysis a good thing right because it's not just about our existence here on the earth. This is temporal. This is quickly passing away. Now we're not saying that it's pleasant to suffer. We're not like uh, some kind of weirdo who desires pain, who who likes to be hurt, who who enjoys suffering through various issues. That's not. That's, we're not saying that. We're not saying that we enjoy it, but we're saying that if we have a right perspective, we can see that sometimes even suffering, has the benefit of making us more spiritually inclined, makes us more like God wants us to be. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, the Hebrew writer says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Notice that last expression, unto them that are exercised thereby. So, If you allow it to be so, if you allow the process to work, that's what he's saying. If you allow it to turn you more and more toward God, then that's a good thing. That's not a good thing if you let it make you angry and bitter and resentful. It's not a good thing. But it is a good thing if you're exercised toward being more like God wants you to be. In James chapter 1, beginning verse 2, James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You have to let patience develop in you. Let patience have the perfect work. You have to choose to react this way. And that's a choice. We have to make that choice to realize the, the benefit to suffering might stop here for just a minute to let us all be reminded of the familiar story of king david turn over with me in second samuel in second samuel you remember that uh, david had committed the horrible sin with bathsheba Uh, nathan the prophet had come and confronted him and, and one of the consequences of David making those bad choices that he did in the matter with Bathsheba was that the child that was going to be born to her would die. And in Second Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 16, the child was very sick, verse 15, the child was very sick, verse 16, David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead for they said behold while the child was yet alive we spake unto him and he would not hearken unto our voice how will he then vex himself if we tell him the child is dead? But David saw that his servants whispered. But when David saw that his servants whispered David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants is the child dead? And they said he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while he was alive, while it was alive, but when the child was dead thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? I cannot. Can I bring him back again? He, he asked the question. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Notice, uh, here's an example of a parent losing a newborn child. And think of the reaction of David. It could have been that reaction of being angry with God, but he wasn't. I think David had a real sense of all of the kind of things that we're talking about in our lesson this morning. And I really believe that that episode turned David more toward what God wanted him to be. The loss of that child didn't embitter him, didn't make him angry with God, it just gave him a greater determination to go into eternity to be able to see that child that had been lost. And so David, I think, sets a worthy example in that, and that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here to try and see the potential benefit that may exist to suffering. If it makes us more what we ought to be spiritually, then it can be regarded as a good thing. One more point to add to these considerations, and that is that we should serve God because He is God and not because of what we get from it. You know, this whole idea of being angry with God, I think manifest a wrong view of what our service to God ought to be about. Is it for me? Is it for me? Is it for what I can get out of it? Is that why I'm serving God? And therefore, when something doesn't turn out to my benefit, when it doesn't come out just the way I want it, I'm mad because I'm serving God and I expect that He should do for me just what I want Him to do. Is that the way we're viewing it? Are we approaching our service to God in that selfish fashion? Now, Understand, of course, we think that there's great benefits to be gained by serving God. We believe that we're blessed in this life most often. We certainly believe in the blessing of eternity. But bottom line, we should be serving God because He is God. And I am His creation. And And that being the case, I should serve Him really, if for no other reason, just for that. He is God. and And He is my Maker. And I should have an obligation to do as he will. We've been studying the case of Job in our Wednesday night class. What an interesting story Job is. Job was tempted, severely tempted. In Job chapter 1, verse 9, Satan answered, Lord, "Doth Job serve God for naught? Uh, Satan basically made the claim the only reason that Job is serving is because of what he's getting out of it. And if you take that away, he'll forsake you that was that's what satan claimed and 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 he was wrong and god allowed him to move forward with certain horrible things that happened to job but in job chapter 2 after he had lost all of his children after his health had been gravely afflicted he's his wife even said to him job 2 verse 9 "Dost thou still retain thine integrity curse god and die and a lot of people would have and a lot of people would have been mad at God. But Job said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. We're so impressed with Job there. We've been studying further in the book, and we know that some men came to him and tormented him and got him to say some things he shouldn't say before the end, but he, he got over that too. But Job had the right outlook here. Uh, he's God, and I'm man. And, you, know, you think we should only receive good things from him? You don't think some bad things might come into our life? We need to look at it that way. He had a real spiritual perspective on things, and that was a true spiritual maturity on his part to make such a statement as we just read, and we need to have that too. Bottom line, we should be serving God because he is God, not because of some selfish motive on our part, uh, what we imagine we might get out of it. Well, uh, have you been struggling with a situation, angry with God? Or do you know someone who has been? Hopefully some of the things that we have said this morning uh, will be helpful. We all need to humbly uh, and faithfully commit ourselves to doing His will in our life. It's what's best. It's what's right. It's what's expected. What's your situation this morning? Are you a child of God? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. It's such a, a, a straightforward plan to understand and to do. And we hope you would make that decision without delay. If you need more information or more study, just say so. We'll be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away and not been faithful to your Lord, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.